You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley. We want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the show. If you're new here, thank you so much for giving us a shot. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. Go subscribe today if you haven't already. If you use Apple products and iOS and anything like that, uh, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Leave us a five-star review and also leave us leave us a written one and we'll leave it or we'll read it here on air as well. You can find us on social media at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and we're at Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook as well. Gene, I want to make a promise to our listeners here right at the top of the show and that our show will not be as ugly as as awful as Tennessee's game against Texas Tech. I, I think I, I could feel pretty safe making that promise because. Oh, I, I felt like I was watching a early Conzo Martin era basketball game, Gene, because it was one of those games where you you don't know if you can really give a ton of credit to the defense, and you get you, you got to give some because there there were times where I thought Fulkerson especially, Fulkerson and Kamwa made some really good plays in the post. Fulkerson finished the game with five blocks. He actually ended up with a double double, uh, ten points, ten boards, and and five blocks in that game. Uh, and there are other times where Texas Tech, I thought, made some really good plays, and man, they were they were blocking a bunch of shots. Uh, Tennessee finished with eight, and Tech finished with six. They had uh, six steals as well, and Tennessee had six steals. So there there were good defensive plays that were made in that game. But man, the offense was I, horrible. Doesn't even do it justice. It was awful, and it it to me, <laughs> we'll we'll discuss it in a second. But I'm almost willing to just kind of dump it and move move on and that's what I, if, I, if I were a coach or a Rick Barnes or if I were Mark Adams for Tech or anybody like that I would I that would be kind of the mindset I'd have is yes we there are things to learn from it and things that I think that we can discuss it and talk about more than just it being a horrible offensive game but uh, I'm almost the mindset of you dump it and move on because it wasn't like it was just Tennessee that shot horribly Tennessee went 6 of 40 from three point line 15 percent they were 19 of 71 overall, 20, 27% basically from the from the floor overall, 50% from the free throw line, 8 of 16. But Tech, conversely, shot 31% from the floor overall. They were 4 of 24 from 3, which is 16.7%. And they were only 15 of 25 from the free throw line, which is 60%. So they didn't shoot well. And then you pull on top of that, Gene, the next game in the Jimmy V Classic between Villanova and Syracuse, those two teams combined to shoot 33.8%, right? and Tennessee and Tech combined to shoot 28.8%. No, no team had a good free throw shooting. I think one of those teams in the Nova Syracuse game was like 4-6 from the free throw line, which I mean, that's such a small sample size, but the other team shot like 60% or worse, just like in the, the Tennessee and Texas Tech game. So, Gene, it wasn't like it was just Tennessee having an awful night. There was a stretch there from about the 11.50 mark in the first, second half until... I think about the five-ish minute mark where neither team had made a field goal. The only points that had been scored were on a couple of free throws and it was brutal. No shots were falling. Nothing any team was putting in there was, was putting up was going in the, in the bucket. And then finally Tennessee made a bucket 
to tie it up at 41 apiece late in the second half. Uh, then, of course, it had to go to overtime because we all couldn't get enough uh, the 40 minutes of that, that slop fest. And then in, in overtime, Texas Tech was able to get a couple of shots to fall, and, and Tennessee still couldn't really get anything going, and that's what ended up being the difference. But, Gene, there, there are a lot of takeaways I have from this game. But the moment that the Josiah Jordan-James had that breakaway and he went up to go for a dunk or layup or whatever he was going to do, and his knee twisted or buckled or something, and it, it just gave out on him. It made him fly up awkwardly in the air, and he missed a wide-open dunk slash layup. That's when I knew that there was some sort of curse in that building. Like Madison Square Garden that night, like there was something wrong with that building, with those rims, with the, the floor there. I, I don't know, but we could sit here and rant and rave and whatever, but I, I'm not one. My personality isn't one to get too worked up over a game in early December in a basketball season, but especially one like this where you have just, it's a historically like once in a, in a decade type of performance. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't just Tennessee. Texas tech also had a horrible offensive night and then Villanova and Syracuse also had really bad offensive nights. So Gene, before we get into some specifics of, of things I think are worth talking about, about takeaways from this game and moving forward, you can just give your thoughts on that too, because I, I, man, the, the last time I've seen a, a game that bad for Tennessee offensively, for both teams, you know, because Tennessee's had some stinkers before, but the other team ends up blowing Tennessee out. The last time I can think of where both teams are just dreadful like that was that um, Tennessee-Georgetown game under Conzo Martin about a decade ago. That That's the last time I can remember a game that I walked away from feeling like this. And again, that one was also early in the season. So, ugh, this was just... It was all sorts of just disgusting to watch in this game. So, like I said, before we get to, to some specifics and stuff, uh, feel free to give your thoughts on and, and say whatever you want to say about anything right now. Yeah. You know, so, you know, obviously I, I, I saw, I was telling the thing before the podcast started that uh, I had a, an opportunity to see the last, like, four minutes of regulation and the overtime uh my son had a basketball game at Cleveland last night, so I, I I tuned in. You know, I saw it was close. I went to my YouTube TV on my phone and started watching, and immediately saw I think uh, somebody brick a three. And I hadn't I I knew nothing about the stats other than listening to a little bit of what uh, is it Max Schulman and uh, is that his name and Jay Billis mm-hmm. um, listen to them talk about you know just how horrible the shooting had been. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, and I, I was telling the thing of this as well. Um, I got a close game alert on my phone, and it said like 37, 35, or whatever the score was. I thought it was like 12 minutes to go in, you know, in regulation or something like that, or, or halftime score. I didn't realize it's like three minutes to go in the game. I'm like, oh, wow. So, um, man, it, like, I, I look and. You see certain things, and it's one of those. It's a hard thing to kind of figure out. It's like a lot of coaches talk about with uh, when they, you know, when they talk about um, like scrimmages that they have, like blue gold games and stuff like that, like or 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 orange or white games, depending on what school you go to, UTC or Tennessee or whatever. And when you have interest squad scrimmages, you know, and you ask a coach to maybe talk about the performance, it's like, well. We were really good offensively, but that means we were also really bad defensively. How do we, how do we kind of look at this? How do we figure this? And 
Um, so I, I think when you look at the Tennessee performance, you're trying to figure out how good were they, how how bad were they offensively as opposed to how good they were they defensively. How how do we, you know, how do we quantify what we watch there? Should we be excited about the defense and say we can figure some offensive out? Or do we blame the arena, you know, the surroundings, Madison Square Garden? Like, how do we handle that? And I think the best way is to just kind of say, I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast, we've talked about this on a number of times. Like, if, you know, I think just from a statistical standpoint, one difference I saw was that uh, Tennessee took 10 more shots, took like 16 more threes, and but shot a slightly I mean it's not it's not really a high bar but shot a slightly worse percentage from three than uh, Texas Tech and if you're going to shoot 43s in a game out of 71 shots over half, well over half of your shots are threes mm-hmm. and you're only making six of them how are you going to get that offense like that's going to be a question that is going to be asked of this team for the rest of the season. It's fine when the threes are falling. It's fine when Kennedy Chandler is unstoppable getting into the lane and getting to the paint and doing things. But good teams are going to take things like that away. And I think the biggest concern, you know, the defense I thought looked really good in the time. I mean, you remembered little things, you know, little, you remember reasons why Josiah Jordan James, although his statistical production is never going to be what a lot of people want, why he's so important to that team. I mean, first of all, that three that he hit uh, without any sort of, except for the slight hitch in his his shot, which is just a part of who he is, there was no hesitation in taking that shot. And it was a huge shot that he hit. Um, But you're reminded, because he holds a lot of stuff that they want to do, especially on the defensive side together, because he can guard so many different positions, he can guard guards. He can guard bigs. Um, like, you're reminded of that stuff. And so you have a guy like that that can kind of, you know, keep everything under wraps defensively. Can you figure some stuff out offensively? Because you know you know right now that you have a good defensive team. Um, you're trying to figure out exactly what you are offensively, which is kind of hard because when the threes are falling, you're scoring – 70 or so points a game uh, when the threes aren't falling you're 52 um, yeah. and yeah. the more and more you look at their schedule the more and more you realize that I think we talked about this last week UNC Greensboro, USC Upstate are the next two games on the schedule and then you've got the pending mess that is Memphis right now which you know, you know your fear if you're Tennessee is that's going to be the game that they figure things out because right now, I mean, for any complaint Tennessee fans you may want to have about your team, I guarantee you it's a lot worse at that FedEx Forum. People who go to that FedEx Forum and watch games, I guarantee it, it, it's considerably. Well, I think won't it, won't it be in, uh, in in Nashville though? This one, I think. No, no the game's in Nashville. I'm just saying the people who okay. you know who attend FedEx Forum to watch games. I'm sorry about yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You know, the misconfusion there, but. Um, yeah, Memphis fans. Let's just yeah, instead of trying to make things difficult, Memphis fans they had they're much more frustrated because they had higher expectations because you know the 
preseason prognosticators looked at Imani Bates and Jalen Duran and said this is the top five team in the country, um, which is flawed, and I'll always say that, but is what it is. Um, so, like, once you get past these next two games and then you get Memphis on the schedule, um, we'll see what Memphis is, but you've only got two more chances where you can kind of figure out what your offense is going to be. And after that, your offense is what it is. And that's, as far as this team is concerned, you're, you're encouraged by what you saw defensively, but you're frustrated because you have no clue what you are offensively. And that, to me, is going to remain a concern uh, the rest of the way. Yeah, and to kind of touch on some of the things you said there about the offense and, and specifically in this in this Texas Tech game, um, it, it was it was very obvious to me and to anyone watching, and I think you know, the commentator has said it a couple of times, Billis and, and Shulman, as you said, on ESPN, Tech's length was really bothering Tennessee. And I, I think Tech obviously watched the film of Tennessee's win over Colorado over the weekend, which we'll, we'll touch on a little bit, but obviously the, the Tech game is the most recent one, so we'll talk more about it. Um, but Tennessee had a very good win over Colorado where they, they put up 69 points and Kenny Chandler had I mean, in an incredible game where he went off for 27 points and, and I think like had the most field goals made by a, a Vol in like a very long time. He, he he like tied Admiral, then I think he hit that bucket at the end of the game to pass him, but um, like he went off and you had Vis- Vescovy had a pretty good game and then got two fouls like he has been doing lately in the first half. And he still ended up with 13 points in that game, but they you could tell they watched the film from that game and other games too for Tennessee this year and said, we're not going to let Tennessee's guards beat us on, a, on you know, attacking the basket off the dribble and you know, driving to the basket and, and being able to either go up for a layup and or you know, or a floater or dish it back out uh, and for an easy three. And they were very good at defending the paint. And their length, just their long arms, their long bodies, that, that Tech has a lot of guys that are 6'6 six, six or, or, or taller. And they used that to their advantage, and they were able to recover so quickly. They, they said in the game gene i think it was jay billis uh, who said it that that game was a clinic for how to recover and recover quickly on defense for both teams but really specifically for tech too because they they did such a good job where there was times where it looked like okay tennessee is going to be able to get a, a shot off here and it, it'd be fairly uncontested and then suddenly a tech player was there and had a hand in his face and tennessee on the other end did a pretty good job of that too but there were plenty of times where tech had a wide open shot and just missed it and there were times where tennessee or vescovy or bailey or ziegler had their feet set and got off a good shot, like a, a good one, not a not a hand in the face, not a fade away, not a you know not a bad shot. Got off really good shots, and they weren't falling. So, my my point is is you're right there. I, I, I agree with you 100 that when Tennessee's had the three taken away from them this year, or excuse me, when they've had you know the ability to drive to the basket and and whatnot taken away from them, when you've had more of a focus on the post and taking that away and leading to the extra pass that can lead to a better three-point shot. Tennessee struggled this year, and really they've struggled a lot um, away from Thompson Bowling shooting the three. They've really only had one game this season away from home that's been good from the three-point line. We, we talked about last podcast, Gene, the the splits for Colorado when they played at home and they played away, and Tennessee did a really good job of kind of reversing that course and, and making Colorado have some really bad offensive sets and really bad offensive possessions in that game and held Colorado to 54 points and they were only uh, Colorado was only 19 of 55 overall and 4 of 17 from 3 
But Tennessee at home this season, I'm, I'm trying to add it up here really quick uh, because the thing I'm looking at doesn't have like split stats. But Tennessee this this season at home uh, against UT Martin shot 42.5% from three. Against ETSU, 43.5. Against Tennessee Tech, 26.1. Against Presbyterian, 51.9. Those are all, except for the Tech game, those are all good. So Tennessee, I would say, has a you know 40 plus, almost probably a 45% plus almost percentage of, of three-point shots at home. Neutral side against Villanova, 17.9%. Against UNC, 45%. That's very good. Against Colorado on the road, 25%. Against, against Texas Tech on a neutral site, 15%. So that right there, we want to talk about the splits of Colorado. It's basically the same thing for Tennessee. Their splits on three-point shooting away from Thompson Bowling are not good. Like, they're they're very bad right now. And that does not – again, we're in December. We're, we're like, not even a quarter of the way through the season at this point. Not really necessarily. That might be – might technically be a quarter of the way through now. Um, but still, regardless, like – I don't want to, you know, hit the panic button or, or paint everything with a broad stroke eight games into the year, especially with, with the young players Tennessee has right now that are having to play key minutes. And, you know, they're not a young team, but they're not an old, old team at the same time. But that's a, that's a stat that really concerns you if you're looking ahead to March when you're not going to be playing at home anymore. When you're playing in the postseason in the SEC tournament, in the NCAA tournament, you're not playing in Thompson Bowling. You're even playing in venues you haven't played in all season. You're going to be playing in a – well, I guess technically if you, when you play in the SEC tournament, I think it's in Bridgestone again. So you'll have had you have played one game there because you've played Memphis there, and a lot of those guys have played in the SEC tournament, you know, before. But you get to the NCAA tournament because this team is still going to be an NCAA tournament team. I, I, I don't – you know, I'm not taking away too much from this one game. But you get to postseason play, Gene. That's where those stats really concern me. Tennessee has been very good – um, at Thompson Bowling from the three-point line, but they've been very bad away from Thompson Bowling behind the three-point line, and and that you know that has to be corrected quick, fast, and in a hurry. And you would rather have these types of games and and have these types of lessons happen right now in November against Villanova and in December against Texas Tech than to get into conference play and go, uh oh, we don't know, like we we didn't get tested in conference play. And we or in non-conference play, and suddenly we, we've had these things we didn't realize and haven't had a chance to even address, let alone try to fix. So Tennessee, you know, just because it's happened doesn't mean they can't fix it or that it can't be fixed. But they have a lot of things to fix, and I think that also looks at you know it starts with what do you do rotation-wise? Because Tennessee against Tech played a lot of one-four, where they had one post and four yards. You had uh, either usually Fulkerson, but sometimes Camwa as the the forward, and then you had. Um, Kennedy, you had Zakai Ziegler, you had Vescovy, and then you had Bailey most of the time out there as the other four guys. Sometimes it was Powell, but Powell didn't play a whole lot in the second half, and then you didn't have Huntley Hatfield or Urosh play really any of the second half, which I was fine with Urosh not playing in the second half. But Gene, to me, I think it shows that Huntley Hatfield is not ready at this moment in time to be that that pound inside guy that you need him to be. Because Tennessee doesn't have that, and he's the biggest body and a guy who could be that, and they didn't play him because I, clearly Rick Barnes doesn't think he's ready. And I, I thought from the four or five minutes he played in the first half that he didn't look ready to me either to to be in the role and to be playing prime time minutes in the post. Um, but at the same time, Powell, like I, I, I was, I would like to see Powell's minutes increase and Victor Bailey's decrease. But at the same time, it's not like Powell shot any better than Victor Bailey in the game uh, against Texas Tech at least in that game uh, Bailey finished one of six 
overall, and all, all those shots were from three, so one is six from three uh, in his 20 minutes. And then Justin Powell was 0 for in the game, 0 for 3, and he didn't shoot anything inside the three-point line either. So neither of those guys did anything, but at least Bailey went out and grabbed six rebounds. Gee, we, we talked last podcast about he doesn't do anything other than score. He's going to have to do more than just that if he wants to get on the floor. He had six rebounds and a block, and he, he was playing some pretty pesky defense. His, his defense intensity in that game was the best I'd seen probably from his whole Tennessee career. So that, that to me, spoke to why he was on the floor and why Powell was not. But I think those are some questions you got to ask are, you know, this game we talked about last podcast was the game where I think you were going to see what the, the lineup could look like moving forward. And I think you're going to see that 1-4 lineup. Where I, don't, I don't think you're going to see more of the traditional three-guard lineup and, and two-forward lineup. I think you're going to see a lot more for Tennessee. I think you'll see the starting lineup be that 3-2. That but I think when it comes crunch time in the second half, I think unless you have, a you know, depending on the, the roster of the other team, I think you're going to see a lot more of that 4-1. And I think that's bad news for a guy like Brandon Huntley Hatfield because typically your one, at least he's in foul trouble for Tennessee, is going to be John Fulkerson because he's your veteran. He's your the leader of the team. He's the guy who, you know, has been there for a long time. You're going to trust him to play over a true freshman. Um, I, I, I like the 4-1 lineup. It didn't work for Tennessee a whole lot on uh, Tuesday night, but nothing was working for Tennessee Tuesday night. So, I mean, it's really hard to take away a whole lot from that game, honestly. It just really is. But I think we're going to see more 4-1. And I'll be, I'll, I, I think I would like to see more Justin Powell. But if Victor Bailey keeps up that the defensive intensity that he had um, in this game moving forward, I can be convinced to, to keep Victor Bailey playing 20 minutes or so and, and Powell being a guy who is maybe not playing as much. But so, th- we're at the point now where guys' minutes who've been playing a lot lately because you're playing a bunch of garbage teams for the most part, they're going to be decreased because – there's just only so many minutes you can you can throw around and play guys. So, uh, right. um, so let yeah, me, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're fine. And I think it it it, it goes back. I remember when you and I were talking in the preseason, and you know that I I think we had the question. Yeah, like Tennessee's got tall bodies. Mm-hmm. But do they have bigs? And they don't have experience. And I think that that was always going to be the question around this team, which goes back to, I think last week it was that you said, uh, we were talking about, I think it was the Tennessee Tech game. And you're, and I think you made mention of, well, there's, uh, yeah, they let, you know, Tennessee Tech allowed Tennessee to shoot. And I think a lot of teams are going to just let Tennessee shoot their way either in or out of games mm-hmm. because they've shown very little capability to to have any sort of inside presence, sort of in, inside threat. Um, you know, because you get past Fulkerson, who uh, is a nice player and will go down as one of the most beloved Vols in history. Uh, but he's he he's mainly like finesse. He he's not going to go in there and pound for baskets and things of that nature. Um, you know, I know what he did towards the end of the 2019-20 season. He was guy. He was he was amazing in those last like six seven games. I think he averaged like 18 points and 10 rebounds a game. But Tennessee had also just basically the coaching staff, in my opinion, looked at what they had and said our best bet this season is to just throw the ball to John 
Because, I mean, if people remember that team, it was a mess. That was actually that was the year Lamonte had retired and Bowden was trying to figure things out but couldn't hit a shot until, you know, for like two months. Um, and they realized their best course of action offensively was to, you know, try to find ways to get focus in some baskets. Uh, this year's team right now at this point is not that. And so a lot of teams, again, because not many people – Teams, even with John Fulkerson, in my opinion, being a really, really good basketball player, teams are going to say, all right, let him go get 20 and 10. Okay, cool. If you think he can go get 20 and 10, let him go get 20 and 10. And until he, you know, show, until Tennessee, until, you know, Tennessee shows an opponent that they're willing to let him get those sorts of numbers, um, then a lot of teams are going to play Tennessee that way, and not many teams are built kind of like uh, like te- you know like Texas Tech in terms of the length and stuff like that. But a lot of teams they face the rest of the way are built that way. You've got an Alabama on the schedule. You've got Kentucky on the schedule. You've got LSU, who's always those are teams that have size, um, and, and so. Like I think earlier in the season, when you're seeing all the threes, that's kind of what you know. Teams are looking at that game film. They're like, "Oh, they're they're just going to sell out for the three. And again, it looks good when they're shooting forty of them and forty percent are going in, because that right there, you know, is forty eight points. It's essentially fifty points just off threes. And then when you're hitting all those threes, now you you know you open up some of the interior stuff, but. Again, a lot of teams are just going to say, all right, you think you can average, uh, you think you can get 45 points from three-point range? Try us. Last night, that Tennessee couldn't. Uh, there are certain games to which they can. But, like, there has to be a certain formula for their success that they're going to have to, that Tennessee's going to have to have. And I think they're going to be similarly built to that 20, I think it's the 2017-18 team, the team where, you know, where I think Grant was a sophomore and Admiral's mm-hmm. a junior, where they leaned a lot on their defense and then got timely baskets. But that team had an inside presence in Grant Williams. This team hasn't fully shown that they have that yet. And they haven't fully shown that they're committed to using that aspect of the offense. Brandon Huntley Hatfield looks lost out there because he's never played post before. You know, Euros Plastic. Has not. I mean, obviously he's a big, but he's more of a finesse big, mm-hmm. and he's an offensive guy. He's not. He, he's not going to give you a ton of defense. Although, uh, from some things I've seen, he's gotten better in that regard. I, I do think that Euros has improved in his time in Knoxville, but you know, like so, your only option after those guys is that. Is that you know? I, I noticed Olivier played what 15 minutes last night. I'm, I, you know, you would know far better than I what what happened there, but I'm just sitting here looking that didn't look like he was in foul trouble, and he only played uh, he played 14 minutes and had two points and three rebounds, and he only had one foul. Yep. Um, that that had a lot to do with like what I mentioned earlier, the Tennessee switching to that uh, yeah, one smaller lineup, yeah. and 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 Forrest yeah. was the main guy. Like it, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't Cam Wall, it wasn't anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I see the minutes break down now, and I'm saying okay, they went with. Ziegler, James, Fulkerson, Chandler, and Vescovi. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I get that ten minutes from Euros, four minutes from Huntley Hatfield. 
Uh, I think Powell for his shooting is probably not as great defensively as Bailey, which is, you know, to your point earlier, that's why you kind of think that Bailey – Bailey's had some good moments defensively. Like, I think that year that he was redshirting, I think that was more of his his thing in practices was that he was kind of – had a bulldog sort of mentality. You know, I think you – you know, going into last season, I think you you hoped the offense. And heck, I wrote a story when I was still technically covering Tennessee how Victor Bailey was the key to last season. Um, just because you had an experienced guy and experienced guards win in March, um, you know, I, I wrote that, and because I truly believed it, and I still believe it. Like they're going to have to have one of these guys if they're going to make any sort of run in March. But I mean, we're at what December eighth right now. I mean, so, I mean, heck, March is way off in the distance, and I'm looking at a team that is still struggling to find an identity, and that's not a good place to be in right now, is struggling to find an identity, because you're running out of non-conference games to find that identity. Like, you've only got a handful of them left, I think maybe six, if you count the Texas game. Uh, You've only got a handful of those non-conference games left, and you've got to figure some stuff out. And, okay, five with the Texas game. Um, I think there's enough to be excited about. There's plenty to be optimistic about when you look at this team. But there's still a ton of cause for concern because I don't know where – I don't know how they get better. I don't have a clue. And that's not a good place to be in, especially with some of the competition they've got coming up. Um, because a lot of teams are going to look at the makeup and they're going to say, look at you know this Tennessee team and say, they're finesse. We can bully them. You know, kind of do you know, kind of make things uncomfortable for Chandler, make things uncomfortable for Fulkerson, and say, let's see what the rest of your your guys have. And if they can't figure that out, then all these peachy, all these dreams and things that they that people are looking at and hopes and goals and whatever and you know hashtag we're a basketball school that's all going by the wayside because I don't know what the answer to figuring that out is as to what this team is but not having an identity eight or nine or however many games into the season that we're at right now um yeah not having identity eight games into the season it's not the worst thing in the world but you would certainly hope that you had a little bit better of an idea. And I don't know, I'm not sure that I know much more about this Tennessee team now than I did um, going into that UT Martin game uh, a month ago tomorrow. I think we've had a couple of concerns that we had in the preseason basically be validated, Gene. And that, 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 you know, like you said, I still think we don't have a whole lot to know, but I think we've, <laughs> we know that the concerns we had about the post have, have basically come true at this point, where Tennessee doesn't have the tenacity from those post players and most of Tennessee's post guys are more finesse players and that can work out if you have a, a that can work out on, on certain roster configurations I don't think Tennessee has the roster configuration for that to work the way that they hoped it would or the way that fans would like to see it Huntley Hatfield can be that guy that can go down and, and bang low he just has to develop into that and he's a true freshman who should still be in high school right now. Like he, he should be a high school senior. So he's going to have time to. De- he's going to need a, a year to develop. I, I, I've, I've definitely, unless he transfers or decides to go ahead and do it, I don't think he's a one and done player uh, based off what I've seen from him so far. Again, we're, we're eight games into the year. That he, he could, 
like could come on for him in, in January or February, and he could you know go lights out and, and be a really good player in the last half of the month, the last half of the season, and you know go declare for the draft and, and get drafted in the second round or something like that. But he's the only guy I look at on Tennessee's roster that can be the type of big that could flourish in this lineup and and help the guards out like they need to. Because Fulkerson is a guy that I like what Fulkerson brings to the team. I, I like his attitude. He's not a guy that I consistently trust to go back down an opposing post player and bully his way to a bucket. Because Grant Williams could do that, even as an undersized post. Grant could do that because he had broader shoulders, he had stronger feet, and he had better hips. He, he could move better, and he could lower that shoulder and not draw a foul. Sometimes we would draw a foul, but he could you know, not draw a foul and go fight for a bucket. Ferguson doesn't have that. He's lankier. He doesn't have the upper body strength for that. He doesn't have the foot strength for that. There's times where I've watched him try to back down a guy, and it's like he's pushing against a brick wall because he's just repeatedly backing up against the guy, and the guy's not moving but like an inch or two. Like he's not backing. He, he doesn't have the strength to back down somebody. Homie Hatfield does. Uro sh- should, but like you said, he plays more of the you know finesse style as well. He doesn't he doesn't do the backing down and going up for a hook shot a lot of times. It, he he doesn't do those things that you need that type of post player do and, and, and Olivier doesn't either we, we knew Olivier wasn't going to be that type of guy uh, heading into the season too so and that's all your bigs I mean you have I mean Jonas Adu, but he's not going to play a whole lot for you this year uh, him, him having mono in the offseason definitely didn't help his development any so I don't think you're getting anything much from him this year and then Tomba's not going to play because he's redshirting so like you, you have bigs that can maybe be that for you down the line but I don't know that Adu's going to do that either Adu reminds me more of uh, Kyle Alexander, and obviously Alexander wasn't that kind of guy either. He was a really good rim protector, but he wasn't a, a bully down in the paint. So I, th- I I definitely think this team needs that, but it, you know, it, you're know you kind of screwed with what you have right now. that You can't really add anybody to the roster. This isn't NBA. You can't go and, and sign a free agent or, or make a trade. But I think that's an area that I would like to see Tennessee address for next year is either in the, probably in the transfer portal, but go, go get you a big who you don't have. You know, I, I'm not saying go get you big. That is like a 1990s NBA big where you're gonna go. You're gonna all of a sudden you know go back to playing a really slow, plodding ty- style of offense, and you're gonna have these sets and run it through a, the the big post player and and whatnot. But I think you still need somebody that can do something like that. And Tennessee doesn't have it right now until slash unless Huntley Hatfield develops into that because. Um, he's not there right now. And I, I saw a lot of people saying, why didn't he play more? I was like, did you watch the four or five minutes he was in? He's, he's, he is not ready. Like he, he can do some good things and he has a lot of potential, but he's simply not ready for the big moment yet. That's fine. He's eight games into his college career as a, what, as an 18 year old. I mean, and, and, and a guy who, you know, post players a lot of times aren't developmentally there as much as the small forwards or the guards are like it, it, a lot of times when you see these superstars, coming out of college or coming out of high school, they're almost always guards. Zion Williamson was an, was, was an exception in the last, you know, five years. But most of the guys I'm thinking of that were big-time guards or big-time players coming out of college and going to the NBA draft were guards. You look at John Morant. You look at um, the the kid from Oklahoma whose name I just all of a sudden can't remember. Um, hey, Cunningham. Yeah, 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 that, he, yeah, him too. But I was thinking of another one, Trey Young. You, you look at all oh, those yeah, guys, like, far, Trey, but yeah, 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 but I'm both those guys long. apply actually. Yeah. But yeah, you look at all, look, look at a lot of the big names from the last four or five years. Zion's really the only true forward that I can really think of that I, I, I'm, I know I'm forgetting somebody, but like he's the 
the main one I'm thinking of is that was like a superstar type of of player. A lot of the times, like I said, the super talented uh, five star players who come out of high school and go to college that have an instant kind of one and done impact are guards. So a lot of times, the five star big men need a year or two to to really come into their own. That's not the case for all of them, but that's been the case from a lot of the five stars I've seen that are power forwards and centers. They don't. They aren't almost. A lot of the times, they are not one and done players. So, or if they are, yeah, then me, they, they get drafted very late or, or undrafted, basically. Let me toss a couple of names at you, and you'll yeah. you'll you'll sense a theme here uh, because you'll see where I'm going with it. Um, Anthony Davis, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and Julius Randle. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen I've seen the theme now, there for sure. But the theme is not what you think. I, the the last name that I mentioned, that's the key because Julius Randle. I, I just did a Brendan Huntley Hatfield player comp, NBA player comp, and the name that came up was uh, Julius Randle. Now, the thing about that, why that's intriguing to me, is one of the things that was talked about was. I know I questioned would this kid be receptive to playing as a post player because he's never done that before. Like so many of these Tennessee players have never played, folks, they've never played as a post. I don't care how big they are. Mm-hmm. They've never played as a post. Part of the reason Jonas Adu, aside from the mono, isn't playing is because he's never played as a post. Euros, Euros obviously has. Yeah. Because yeah. there was no alternative for him. But Huntley Hatfield watched that kid in AAU tournament, never posted up. Was always out in the perimeter because that's where the game is shifting to. Uh, Olivier, if you want to play, you wanted a player comp for Olivier coming out of high school. If you had asked me for a player comp, I would have said Giannis. Because that's exactly how he played. He'd grab that's a exactly rebound what and his, he just take. Just that's grab exactly a what his high school coach said when I interviewed him too. Was Giannis? <laughs> yeah, he yo, it would he would grab a rebound. It would be a one man fast break where he is varying up and down the court trying to get to the basket. You ask him, have you ever posted up? You ever posted up guys your size before? No. If there was a mismatch, I posted up, but never, but never guys like my size. So that was new to me. So. Guys like Huntley Hatfield are going to look lost because this is new to them. Yeah, and again, like I've mentioned this before, I think we talked about it two, three weeks ago. I'm like, you've got to find ways to play that kid because he is an elite talent, Mm -hmm. but he has to. And again, I'm not, I'm not about to suggest that he isn't or hasn't, but he has to fully embrace you're going to probably have to go in there and fight and bang in the SEC a little bit against some of those bigs. That may not, that's new to you. And I get it. You're supposed to be a high school senior right now at what IMG, I think is where he played at. Um, uh, Scotland prep. Oh, I forgot he moved again. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so you're supposed to be a high school senior. Like I get all of that, but you you asked for this. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it so so brutal, you know, so like to be so honest about it, but you asked for this. 
you sat here, you watched how Tennessee played, and you asked for this. Who knows? Maybe he thought he was going to be Eve Pons. That's exactly what I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be Eve Pons. I mean, that's the role that I thought he was going to play. He's going to be out on the perimeter. He was going to be a, a massive upgrade from Eve Pons. And, we were going to, and you keep Fulkerson out there, and you have some of those size issues kind of handled. But, you know, he hasn't really proven that he's ready for that yet. So you kind of just have to play him in some a few minutes here and there in relief of uh, John Fulkerson and be done with it. But, again, like, it's all new. And, and I get it. It's, you know, people looking, well, we've got a five-star kid, you know, you know, wilting away on the bench. I get it. I get the frustration. I completely understand that. But that's a kid who, like, I, I think Tennessee's probably handling him the best they can because I, I, I don't – last time I checked, Rick Barnes is not dumb. He kind of realizes that he's going to need that guy. So you give him a few minutes here, a few minutes there. But, I mean, he's not ready. For that like you hope that he you hope that you can find a way to force feed him some minutes over the next two games uh against unc up i mean unc greensboro and usc upstate and then let's see what he does against memphis because I, look i don't know what the whole memphis situation is it seems seems very weird and it's very weird that an AAU coach is, who is now a college coach is not complaining that his AAU players are playing like AAU players. Like, that's kind of on you, guy. But, anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, I don't know what that Memphis game is going to be, but as long as you've got Imani Bates and Jalen Duran out there, you can't you can't fire back at them necessarily <laughs> with John Fulkerson. And, oh, gosh. Or, I mean, Josiah, maybe. Josiah's got <laughs> the build, and he's just a stinky good player who – uh, can probably handle some of that because Amani's kind of thin, but I mean, you'd much rather have ha- you know, you know, Brandon Huntley Hatfield have one of his like kind of coming out performances, and I don't know what that means. Maybe it's just nine points and five rebounds and twenty-one minutes. He doesn't have to be a fifteen and thirteen guy. He doesn't have to be a twenty-six and seventeen guy. But if he can give you like nine points and five rebounds a game. Uh, man, look, man, I'm a Bulls fan. There was, you know, the Bulls picked up a lottery pick who was sixth man of the year. They drafted him in the lottery because of what he did uh, a couple years ago. Like, there's ways that you can impact all this stuff in just the time that you're given. But Huntley Hatfield just has to prove that he's worth 15 to 17 to 20 minutes in a game with some some proper lineups where maybe you can use Fulkerson and Huntley Hatfield out there at the same time because what we're seeing right now is four guys, you know, I think, you know, towards the end of the second half of last night's game, you got four guys who are, you've got three guards, obviously. You've got a fourth guy in Josiah Jordan-James who was more prone to not attack the basket and therefore shoot more shots from outside or in the mid-range, and you've got Fulkerson. Um, that's not exactly a power lineup. So what are you going to get? You're going to get a lot of threes. Um, so I don't know what the answer is. You'd have to somehow get Huntley Hatfield in the mix. I just don't have a clue what that is. And it just, like I said, it just kind of goes back to the concerns that we've had about 
uh, where's this team going to go, and who can they turn to, who, and who can kind of take over as, like, the guy on this team. And I don't mean the, the star. I just mean who's the guy. I mean, I, we all believe it's Fulkerson, but Fulkerson can only say so much. He can only do so much. He's got to bring some – I mean, some guys are going to have to, like, you know, follow this guy's lead and, follow, and go on this journey with this guy because, um, as I've said multiple times on this podcast, what I've seen is concerning. And I think, you know, I, I'm not – neither one of us are a, a big, like, Rick Barnes basher, and, like, there are definitely people out there who are that way. And I, I, but I, I think it's fair to criticize him for things, and we've talked about that before, that, you know, he's not above criticism. Um, I like him as a coach. I think, like you said, he's smart. He's not stupid. He, you don't win – you don't coach as long as he has for several decades being an idiot. You know, you, you, you he knows what he's doing. He's, he's forgotten so much more about basketball than I know now or will ever know. Um, and I, I think he's a very good coach, but he still makes decisions and does things that I disagree with and I don't like. And I think one thing that's been f- that is very fair to criticize him about and, and his his assistants too over the last few years has been their evaluations of big men, because you look back, you know, aside from and Grant was an undersized big, but technically he was a big. You look besides him and, and Kyle Alexander, and it's been a lot of swings and misses. Zach Kent was a swing and miss. Um, Derek Walker was a swing and miss. DJ Burns what wasn't a swing and miss from a town perspective because I'm looking at what he's in at Winthrop and he's he's killing it for them, but it was a swing and miss in terms of he was not a good culture fit and he, and he didn't do things that um, he was supposed to do and, and that was a swing and miss because of that. But that that I, you could say is more on DJ Burns than it is on Barnes, but still technically a swing and miss there because he's not on the team anymore. Corey Walker technically kind of a big he's he's more of a small forward in my opinion, but again swing and miss there he didn't do anything and didn't play for you. Right now, Urosh to me is a swing and miss. That I mean, from what you thought you were going to get from him to what he is, that's a swing and a miss. Ferguson isn't because he's developed into a good, consistent player. He, he, I never thought he'd be a. I thought that I, I, I thought maybe the time when he had that that really good junior season, you know, could he end up being a, a consistent All SEC player? And he hasn't been, but he's not been horrible either. He's been a steady hand for the most part when he's been healthy. So I mean, he he that's not a swing and a miss. But Homie Hatfield and Olivier. I'm very interested to see what happens this year because Olivia, we've talked about, he's taken a step forward. He, he he has. He's he's shown good signs of development this year. But you look at the big games for Tennessee this year and and their you know the the non cupcake matchups this season for Tennessee, and he's he's been fairly non-existent. I think part of that's again because you've had, especially in the Tech game, you've gone to that one four lineup and he hasn't played a ton of minutes. But you look at the Villanova game, um, he played 27 minutes in that game, zero points. He did grab six boards, which is that's good, but only only shot two two for, two attempts in that game from the 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 field. But again, I, I'm not looking for Olivier to be a, a big time scorer. You have other guys to do that. I, I'm looking for him to be a rebounder, a shot blocker, and a guy who can give you seven, eight to ten points in a game. So uh, with that in mind, I'm looking again at the big games: zero points, six boards against Villanova, against UNC, seven points, six boards, three assists, and a block. That's solid. I, that 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 I will take from Olivier in a big game, especially when he did that in 17 minutes against Colorado in 13 minutes, three points, five boards, two blocks. Mm, eh, it's okay. It doesn't really move the needle a ton, but it's all right. And against Texas Tech, two points, three boards, and two blocks in 13 minutes. Not great. Uh, two blocks are good, but I mean everything else. Eh, it is what it is. He's he's obviously made 
improvements from last year and the year before last. And, and I, I think, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he qualifies as a swing and a miss right now. Cause again, I, I'd never expected him to be a big volume scorer, a guy who's going to go out and get you 15 points a game or anything like that. I, I didn't expect him to really average 10 points a game. If he can get you eight and seven or eight and eight, if he can be that kind of guy for you, perfect. I think that's, that's exactly what he needs to be. And that's exactly what, you know, that's a really good fit for him. I don't ever expect him to be an all SEC type of player, but I think Rick Barnes had pretty high hopes. But again, that's coach speak too. So I don't, I don't want to put a bunch on for quotes that he said to, for a UT press release or for, you know, to the media when, when Olivia first got here or whatever, when he was saying, you know, I think he can be this, I like him for this, you know, you're, you're going to talk up your guy, especially when he's new to the team, but Huntley Hatfield, again, eight games in the year. I'm not going to put a whole lot into that, but I think that's one area that Gene, I, I 100% think is, is worth criticizing Rick Barnes is the evaluation and, and his assistance again, is their evaluation of big men because Tennessee hasn't had, Aside from Grant Williams, that I, I guess you could throw in and John Fulkerson too, Tennessee hasn't had a notable big man in the Rick Barnes era. I mean, and and Kyle Alexander was good. He, don't get me wrong; he he was very good. But he he was a guy that I wish could have redshirted his first year there and 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 whatnot. But you know, for what he how he started out from a guy who only played a couple years of basketball when he first got to Tennessee to where he ended up, very solid. And he's 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 doing a pretty good job of of playing professionally right now. Uh, for the Canadian, and I think up in Canada right now, he's he's not doing poorly at all. Um, but you have a very small group there of two, you know, probably three guys you can point to and say, okay, th- those evaluations were good for these big men or for these power forwards or for these, you know, whatever, however you want to classify them. But there's been a lot of misses in the big men category for Tennessee under Rick Barnes. And that that's an area that I think and they they've they also I mean they they tried I, I know they tried uh, last year to get this past off season to get a, a big man to come and transfer and I guess you could also throw an EJ Anasiki in there Gene as another kind of making a miss on a a big man eval so they they've tried to get transfers in and either got the wrong one or couldn't get the guy to come to the school uh, you also look at, at Blackshear uh, you know a couple years ago I remember us talking about him when he was at Florida and just how disappointing he was there, but Tennessee, and you talked about it, I think, when we were still the SEC podcast, Gene, told Tennessee he was coming and then didn't come. So, I mean, swing and misses in a lot of different respects, but I think that's that's one area that I definitely think is 100% fair to Chris Hasrick Barnes, and it's showing on this roster specifically, and last year's too, that you're, you've missed out on a lot of big men evaluations in terms of what you like your four and five to be, Those that what Rick Barnes likes those, that four and five to be, uh, specifically the four, but being the more of a bruiser type, Tennessee doesn't have that. And it's it's hurting them right now. Again, like I said, Honey Hatfield can develop into that, I think, but it can and will are two different things. So that, that's that's an area that I think is a, a 100% fair criticism of Barnes and his staff is they've not consistently been good on their evaluations of big men. Yeah, I think one thing, the... So here's the problem. If you are a big, like what what has Tennessee shown that they can get to the league? Uh, they've got two guards. I believe both of them are playing in the G League right now. Um, I believe Springer and Johnson are both playing like some G League basketball right now. Um, they've got Jordan Bone, another guard, uh, NBA kid. I think he's still floating around the G League. Um, they've got Admiral floating around the G League, and they've got Grant Williams. 
So if you are walking into the living room, say you're Rick Barnes and his staff, and you see a guy that you want, you walk into the living room of one of these kids who's a big, what's your pitch? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, like you're, you're, you're going to have to pull back to your time in Texas. But that's that's been a while at this point. <laughs> yeah, like you you are fighting because let's look at what let's look at what Tennessee is right now. At least from a guard perspective, they're getting the best of the best. Mm-hmm. You know, like they had they brought in the number one guard in the country. They brought in in this in this cycle coming up. They brought in a kid who I think is probably undervalued a little bit, uh, maybe because of his speed and B.J. Edwards, but is a really good player who's going to come in and be a good player for Tennessee next year. Um, but, like, if you're, I mean, if you're looking around the country, Tennessee's very low on the list of places that I would even consider if I was a big. Yeah, and that's yeah. why it's important for and for Grant Williams to keep doing what he's doing in the NBA. Now he's he's having a good year, but that's still not being able to, being able to sell Grant Williams isn't. <laughs> you don't want that. To, you don't want necessarily Grant to be your top your top option for a post player in terms of selling him to a prospect. I one hundred percent agree with you. He's no longer a person you can sell because that was four years ago. Yeah, that's true too. In fact, that's the problem with it. You know, like if you're looking around, how are you gonna how are you gonna out recruit Kentucky for a big? How are you going to out-recruit North Carolina? Heck, how are you going to recruit out-recruit Kansas? Or some of the teams that you're fighting for prospects. Alabama. Like yep. You just watch how take, – I mean, Texas Tech. I mean, the teams that you're recruiting against, how are you going to out-recruit these guys? I mean, how are you going to out-recruit those programs? Heck, half, the, half of the Big Ten, Luca Garza, uh, Hunter Dickerson – like they all the the big um, Cockburn at Illinois, mm-hmm. I think is his name. I believe he's still there. Yeah, um, he is. Um, like, how are you going to like the Big Ten? They utilize the bigs. They go to them. They they bring them in. They develop them. And I mean, how, how are you going to out recruit Jawan Howard for a big? I mean, I'm not forget you know the NBA guy. Watch watch Jawan Howard like college tape watch him watch him in the league he was really good don't think of the Miami Heat version of Jawan Howard who was just always just sitting over there and you know in warm-ups and then in a suit because he just joined the coaching staff like I mean that's the problem like when we talked about okay these are great recruiters you're bringing in and the the Justin coach I can't remember his last name it you know I'm noticing him on future head coaching list, and it's earned. But if your style is we're going to go into the post, like when I when I'm yelling, they need to get somebody who's good in that regard. That's why because it's not specifically about developing the ones that you've got in the program. It's help bringing new ones in, and you can't. It, it's hard. It's going to be hard for you to get quality post players because if if I'm recruiting against Tennessee, I'd be like, man, Grant Williams is a once in a lifetime kid. Yeah, once in a lifetime kid. What else have they done? What else have they gotten? 
oh, they got the Huntley Hatfield, but that kid thinks he's a guard. That's that's exactly how I'll recruit how I personally will recruit against Tennessee with what they're trying to do when it bring when they bring these guys in. But well, what I mean, Huntley Hatfield, you you y'all honestly, what you need is for Huntley Hatfield or Adu to develop into an NBA post. Yep. Or I'm sorry, an NBA player, caliber player, while you're in Knoxville and not and not him leaving after a year going somewhere and maybe playing a style that's more conducive to how he wants to play and then going into the league as that that would be your worst nightmare your yep. worst nightmare is for that kid to transfer to a school and play maybe a way that he feels more comfortable playing and, and declaring for the draft a year I mean putting up outlandish numbers and going to the draft and being a lottery pick because from a talent perspective let's not kid ourselves Huntley Hatfield is a lottery talent Mid mid first round, mid to late first round, at the worst. But a decent a decent shooter with that size and a pretty good handle. Those are all legitimate things that he has. Um. So we can we can all point to the flaws in the recruiting, but I think that he's getting what he can get. I mean. Like, they haven't signed. Think of it like this. Who was the last big they signed in November? <laughs> That's actually a really good point. But all the bigs they've signed have been have been late edition guys. Fulkerson? Uh, I mean, that's I mean, I, I don't know yeah. what Derek Walker... Maybe Derek Walker. Maybe Derek or, Walker. Or, but DJ Burns was a... I think he was a reclassified kid. Yep. Um, And, and so... Like it's not Olivier like was a late was a late edition. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah Adu was a late edition. Tomba was a reclassification. Huntley Hatfield was a reclassification. So yeah, that's a. It might be a Derek Walker or a Zach Kent or whatever that was a the last. They're like, not. Yeah, kids aren't guys. chomping at the bit to come to Knoxville. To I mean, not bigs. I mean, mm-hmm. they, again, they got zero problem getting guards. Oh yeah, you'll you'll have zero problem getting guards there. With that, I mean to, that system, that style, uh, that is, that's not going to be. If people are looking and seeing what Kennedy Chandler is doing right now, so they're not going. As long as Rick Barnes is there, and whoever eventually, ultimately replaces him, if as long as they got to keep that train rolling, they're not going to have any issue getting guards. And, and plus, five. I mean, you know, usually your five-star prospects are quick point guards. Uh, you know ridiculously athletic, you know, you'll see ridiculously athletic 6'6 six, six wings who are like four stars just because they can only be 35 stars or 32, whatever the number is. But, you know, and then athletically freakish 6'11, your Huntley Hatfields, your Jonas Adus, guys like that. You know, like those are the guys who, and, you know, and Tennessee's getting those guys in there. But again, five, I mean, bigs, they got to be developed. Like, again, if people look back, I mean, if you want to throw, if you want to throw Anthony Davis at me, that was 10 years ago. If you want to throw uh, Jalil Okafor at me, that was seven years ago. Julius Randle was like six. Julius Randle, I think, is on his fifth NBA team in like his fourth contract, like his second He's like his second big contract, I believe. Because he played for the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Knicks. I think that's it. But he's been in the league five years. Like that, and 
like if that if that's what you're throwing at me in terms of like well elite bigs I mean like kids who just went in and took took off like it ain't all that I mean to your point earlier Nathaniel it ain't all that common you know get a Carl Anthony Towns who but you're also but listen to the programs you're talking about too right um you know like I mean what's McCauley got the kid from Duke got the kid from Miami a couple years ago um I can't remember his name, but he was like the, a top 15, top 20 player in the country. Averaged ridiculous stats his one year at Duke, and he was barely, I think he was barely a first-round draft pick. And again, I'm sorry I can't remember the kid's name, but I, he was from Miami and and put up like 17 and 11. I think it was the COVID year. Averaged a, a pretty solid double-double, but like, but that's what you're – but you're having kids that come in and, like, yeah, these kids want to be in the NBA. And then they look at the NBA, you know what they don't see? They don't see somebody in the post with that left hand raised demanding the ball. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you may see Giannis doing it on occasion, but then you see Giannis grab a defensive rebound and go 94 feet on, like, five steps and dunk a basketball. And you can't convince those kids that they can't be that. So, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Is it a system change that has to happen? I don't know what it's going to take for Tennessee to kind of fix its problem in terms of. Because I don't think it's an evaluation thing. Because they're getting the talent, but especially now. I mean, some of it. Let me phrase that. Some of it is probably some evaluation like i mean that can't okay uh, okay you got me there i mean you got me there i watched that kid play um you know Derek walker i thought he had some good minutes but he just couldn't score um and then he had other issues off the court i mean but everybody they've brought in over the past three four years when i've really kind of been tuned into what tennessee's been doing roster for a roster construction standpoint i get it I, I do. I, I I get it. I thought Eurosh was a reach when I started talking to people here in Chattanooga about him, uh, and I'm like, I thought he made was probably a reach because I just didn't think he was going to be like some eraser. I didn't. I think people, Tennessee fans thought they were getting Hunter Dickinson, and I'm like, no, you're you're not. Um, you're getting a good basketball player that can do some nice things but you don't have a future Big Ten player of the year type kid there. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is. I, I wish I did. Um, but as pretty much has been the tone of this podcast when it comes to me talking, I don't know what the answer is, but it has to be fixed. <laughs> I feel like I've said that five times. Uh, and, and to your point about Derek Walker, like I, I agree with you. I think there's talent there. And, and despite Fred Hoiberg's best efforts to demolish Nebraska, I, Derek's actually having a decent season right out to start the year. He's in ten games. He's averaging basically nine six and a and block and a half a game. So I mean that's solid. That that's that if Tennessee had that right now, that that'd be solid. Uh, he's shooting seventy eight percent from the floor right now. Um, of course, he's only. I mean, he's not even. He's attempting like five field goals a game, but still, that's that's solid, man. You'll. T- <laughs> I'd take that. I'd take that all day from a from a post player for Tennessee right now. Um. But yeah, no, I mean that that. But again, he's also like it's been years since he's been at Tennessee, and he's had to go find himself. And I, I think a, a change of scenery was was good for Derek Walker. I think that was part of the reason why he is succeeding the way he is now. And again, that's not like he's lighting up the world, but hey, 
a nine nine and six in a block and a half from a from a six eight six nine guy. I would I would love to have it on Tennessee's roster right now. And again, Olivier can kind of be that, but they those obviously are two very different styles of players. Uh, Derek Walker and uh, Olivier Camaw. But uh, you know, we we could talk forever about the men's team and keep going on. I, I wanted to. I know, we've already gone for a while here, but I wanted to really quickly before we do in the podcast. Um, give a shout out to Lady Vols, and we'll probably have a, a, a Lady Vol basketball fever podcast episode uh, here fairly soon because um, the Lady Vols are, are tearing up right now, Gene. Uh, they, they've continued their run; they're undefeated right now. Uh, they had another fourth quarter comeback against a solid team on the road against Virginia Tech, which um, I don't think they're as good as, as USF or as good as some of the other teams Lady Vols have played. But Tech's still a good, solid squad. They're seven two, really good shooting team. And Tennessee won 64-58 in Blacksburg and, again, had to come from behind to do so. Outscored them by nine points in the fourth quarter. And Jordan Walker had a phenomenal game. She had 17 points, seven boards, five assists, was a perfect 4-4 from three. Sarah Puckett uh, added 15 points, three boards, and a block. And she had the SEC Freshman of the Week after that game and, and then the game against Tennessee Tech. Um, but Gene, I, I saw a tweet, but you know, I want to make this kind of quick here as we're in, in, ending the show. But I saw a tweet from Charlie Cream that said what Kelly Harper is doing right now and having the Lady Vols undefeated back into the top 10 in the AP poll for the first time in, I think, three, maybe four years without Ray Burrell, especially, is already early, like, coach of the year criteria. And I would agree with him. With, with what Kelly Harper's been able to do with this roster without Ray Burrell with a lot of the teams that they've also had to play with some very solid um, high major teams and some ranked teams and, and already having a, a couple true road games and a couple neutral site games. Um, she's done a very, very, very good job, I think. And, and you're seeing some of her, you know, the players that have been here a couple years develop and seeing what they've developed into, especially Jordan Horston. I mean, she's been phenomenal, but I mean, look at what Tamari Key has been doing. She's She's been a double-double machine. She, she reminds me a lot of what, um, Drenel Stokes was for Tennessee, except she can block a lot more shots than Drenel did. Um, but I about mean, the same height. Yeah, they are about the same height. We've <laughs> talked, we've, we've talked before. Her and Eve, her and Eve Pons are the same height. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think Alexis Dye is kind of finding her her rhythm finally. She she had eight and seven against uh, Virginia Tech, and, and it looked like she's kind of getting into rhythm and finding her place on the team more and more with each game. I I just been, have been extremely impressed with. Kelly Harper and her staff and, and this team through the first month of the year. Now, what happens when we start playing Stanford? What happens when we play UConn? What happens when we get into SEC play? I'd be very interested to see what happens there. But they've not like they haven't been tested. They've had some really good tests so far here in the non-conference and have passed every one of them so far. They've gotten a little lucky a couple of times, but good teams get lucky. So I think this is a good team. I think it's, it's very nice for me, Gene, to see a single-digit number Next to the Lady Vols again, uh, when you look at the, you know and the, and the little box score thing, you look at the rankings. It, it's nice to see a, a single digit number for Tennessee. So I I, I just want to say that I think Charlie Cream is right. I think right now, if you're looking a month into the year, I don't know how you. I, I to me Kelly Harper is the coach of the year right, right now. First month again, we're in early December. We'll see what happens when we get to March. But right now, Kelly Harper is the early front runner for coach of the year in, in the women's game, in, in my opinion. Yeah, real, uh, real quick, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, I think what happened was when when Burrell went out, I think they just completely uh, devoted themselves to the defensive end. Uh, mm-hmm. Only one team has topped over 60 points, and that was Texas, who had 70. 
um, because I think they realize we have to get to a certain number. I'm looking, they're averaging 65 points a game. They're not tearing it up, uh, not shooting it particularly well, except for making you know, some timely baskets here and there when you need them. They're making shots. I mean, they're shooting 26% from three. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where that ranks in the country, but I'm pretty certain that it's not, not very high. <laughs> uh, and, and, well, and again, to make matters worse, they're shooting 57% from the free throw line. So you, you look at all these offensive stats and you're like, this doesn't make any sense, man. It, it does. It, you look at that from that perspective, just staring at those numbers right there. You have it, it. It just always goes back to the defense. The defense is allowed only thirty-one percent from the field, twenty-nine percent from three. Um, you know they're, they're out rebounding opponents by sixteen a game, which you know eerily that that w- was weirdly reminiscent some of those early um, those late Holly Warlick days when they just like mm-hmm. dominated you on the glass, but they couldn't score. This team kind of has some scoring issues. But they're so much better defensively now. To your, like you said, what are they going to do against some of these bigger teams? But UCF is no slouch. Uh, some of the teams that they faced no aren't a slouch. And um, USF, I'm sorry, I don't know why I say UCF, but you, yeah, UCF is a solid program too. Tech, Both of them are, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and so you know, Virginia Tech, you know, breaking that 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 win streak, that home win streak mm-hmm. they've got. Mm-hmm. Like that's that, that's not a slouch there, and these teams aren't even able to break through in that. Nobody shot forty percent against Tennessee. The highest is thirty six percent this year, highest. Um, so again, like I think you were looking at a team that has just realized what it has and realized what it has to do to win. And I think Kelly Harper did an amazing job of getting the team to buy into that. And uh, I think that's just a credit to her because, you know, obviously, like, you know, you lose your best offensive talent and a good defensive player, this could have obviously, this could have gone off the rails and she's kept everything right on track uh, as they've now, you know, jumped into the top 10 of rankings with, you know, some, some quality competition coming up, some, some good opportunities uh, for them to really build on this. I, I'm not sure... Um, when they'll get, uh, I've seen, like, I've, folks, I've seen Georgia State play. They're not going to get tested. Uh, I've, uh, ETSU, uh, you know, UTC, that's three really, really easy victories there. Um, maybe a chance to kind of bump up some of those shooting stats. But, you know, Stanford's going to be tough. That's a week from Saturday. And then you get into league play. So, um this was my quick way of saying, you know, kudos to Kelly Harper and everything that she's been able to do so far this year. Yeah, no, I, I, man, I agree, and I, I'll be, I'm very excited to see when Ray Rail does come back and, and you know, how the team adjusts and kind of what you know what happens with the, different there because it's going to be an adjustment. They haven't played with her in a while, so I mean, it will be an adjustment. But I think ultimately, obviously, it's going to be she'll make the team better when she comes back because she is a phenomenal player. But I, I've been particularly impressed with Horston stepping up and doing what she's been able to do. Um, in the meantime, and Gene, I don't know where uh, the Lady Vols rank nationally, but I'm looking at the in the SEC. This, uh, yeah, I can talk. The statistical category uh, in the SEC, and right now the Lady Vols are dead last in the three-point shooting percentage in the SEC. So I don't imagine you know they're very high up there uh, nationally, but they're last with 25.9 percent, and Georgia is second to last with t- 27.4. So there's a pretty decent gap there, 1.5 percent gap. 
between Georgia and Tennessee in terms of, of three-point shooting. And Tennessee has some of the lowest um, points per game in the SEC right now as well. They are second to last. Only Vandy is scoring fewer points per game than the Lady Vols right now. But again, like you said, that, I think that's more indicative of the fact that Ray's been out and this team has focused a lot more on defense and they're winning the game. So it doesn't matter to me that you're not scoring a bunch of points because I think that that's going to improve when Ray Burrell does come back. You're able to shut down these opposing teams very effectively and teams that have been scoring a, a pretty good amount. Like Virginia Tech had a really good offense. Um, I want to say Texas, again, that's when you said that, that scored 70, but I think that also was an overtime in that yeah. game too, and but still, like even even with that, like Tennessee did a really good job of keeping those percentages low and the offensive efficiency for Texas low. So, yeah, I, I I've been very impressed with Kelly Harper and the staff. But that'll be where we end this podcast. Again, be on the lookout for a Lady of All specific podcast uh, sometime soon here um, in the next few days or so. And that's that's the same show again. You don't have to subscribe to a new show if you're already subscribed here to Vol Basketball Fever. The Lady of All Basketball Fever will come here. Um, on the same feed, so don't worry about having to go find a new stream or a new show or anything like that. It'll it'll be right here. But thank you all so much for listening. If you're new here, again, as I said, top of the show, thank you so much. Hope you come back. Subscribe to the show today. Go leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever and go like us on Facebook at Vol Basketball Fever. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode 